Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. Hold on to your pants, it's time for a special episode. Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. My name's Steve, and with me today is a special guest, Barrent, from Meet Me at the Table. Hey Steve, thanks for having me on, it's a pleasure to be here. Welcome Barrent. This is not your first time on the show, is it? No, actually, I came on during the Nemesis game, and oh man, I'm still playing that game. That's a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm glad to have you back. So you're here to join me today to do an episode on Aeons and Legacy, as we both have completed the Legacy campaign. That's correct. Got through the game, and I will tell you what I think about it as we get through the podcast here. And just for your listeners out there to know, we're going to do this in kind of two parts. The first part of the episode... It will be spoiler-free. So we're going to speak in kind of generic terms when we get to the review part of it. I'm not sure how useful it will be to you, but we're going to do our best to try to do a top five without spoiling anything. And then if you have played the game or don't care about spoilers, stick around to after the credits, and that will be a full-on spoiler part of the section where we will revisit our top five and talk about it in detail. Sounds awesome. So, Bear, what's new with you on your channel? Well, actually, we've been doing a lot of really fun things on the channel. I just got done doing a Madara playthrough. Oh, my gosh, that game is so much fun. And I'm actually planning to revisit that game later on down the road here. I'm actually playing it pretty soon. Um, I'm also then finishing up a This War of Mine. By the time this airs, who knows, I probably might be done with that game. That game is going so well. And again, I I played this before and I forgot how good this game is. It's so much fun to play. It's by Awakened Realms and it's really good. And uh, actually, the next game I think I'm going to be putting on the channel is I'm going to be going for Fallen Land, a post-apocalyptic board game by Fallen Dominion. I'm pretty excited to get this game on the channel too. So be on the watch for those. Yeah, so recently with me, I had the pleasure of Mike visiting me because this was over Easter holiday. And we played a few games. We played Seal Team Flicks with him, which was kind of funny because we're both claimed to be pretty bad at dexterity games. And I will admit that I think I'm worse at dexterity than him. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, anyway, it was fun. I got eliminated pretty quick, but it was really good to play with Mike and have him experience that game. That game's not really very transportable, so it's nice to play that at the house. Have you? Pl- you haven't played that one, have you? I have not played that one. I I have never played a dexterity type game. I've never played anything that has that kind of concept to it. That that one's my favorite dexterity game. I might now. actually pick that. I might give it a shot. See what it's like. I what age group is that? Is that like can kids and stuff play that, or is it? <sighs> Um, the strategies are more for adults. Okay, so it's kind of strategy-based. All right. Yeah, the strategies for adults, the the actual play could be kids. Okay. Like, like my son, I could set up the boards, like, hey, flick this and stuff, and he'll probably won't do very good, but it's fine. But the strategy, I have to plan multiple turns in advance in order to, like, do well the game. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it's actually surprising for a dexterity game, because most dexterity games are pretty, I don't know, easy. Yeah. Just flick things, flick things. Right. Hit the thing. Mike and I also played Lord of the Rings, and we played a root in the co-op mode, which was a real treat. Sweet. So enough about what we've been up to. Let's jump into the news. The first game we'll talk about is Hostage Negotiator Career. This game is currently on Kickstarter, and it is a solo game. In the base game of Hostage Negotiator, you're playing as a member of the police force, whose job is to, well, negotiate with criminals and try to rescue the hostages. This new addition to the series is actually the conclusion of the series, in which you'll take the expansions throughout the years, combine them to one big epic campaign. So in this, you'll be balancing your career and personal life, 
in trying to take down the criminals. This game is currently funded on Kickstarter, and the campaign will end May 17th. The next game I'll mention is a big one, and that's Bloodborne, the board game. This is by Cool Mini or Not, and if you know Cool Mini or Not, they always make a huge splash on Kickstarter, and this is no exception. It is based upon the popular video game series, where you play one to four hunters who will be exploring the world trying to take out beasts. It is a campaign and scenario-driven game. Just like most Cool Mini or Not games, that comes with a ton of miniatures and a lot of content in the box. One thing unique to this game is combat is diceless. It is card-driven. Most likely by the time you hear this podcast, the campaign will be over, but you could probably lay back it. But in case you listen to these podcast episodes right away, it will end May 14th. And that game is Bloodborne, the board game. So that's going to wrap up our news. Let's jump into our review of Anne's End Legacy. So as a reminder to our listeners, the first part here will be spoiler-free. So feel free to keep listening if you want. And stick around after the credits if you want to hear about all the juicy spoilers. So Baron, how about you describe briefly what Aeon's End Legacy is like? Aeon's End Legacy is a cooperative deck-building game where your deck is never shuffled, and that's very common in the way Aeon's End builds their games, which makes them a unique deck-builder in that way. Your goal is to defeat the nemesis before your home of Graveholt is overrun or your characters are exhausted. This, again, is very similar to the way every Aeon's End game is played. The difference in this game is you're not going to know what's coming because this is a legacy game. Again, we're trying to remain spoiler-free, so I don't want to give too much of what happens, but it plays very similar to other other Aeon's End games and any other deck builder. You get a set of base cards and you're going to use those cards to buy other cards from the market, which then you're going to be revving up your deck, hoping to be able to beat your nemesis who is also becoming more powerful. So whoever can rev their deck up faster is probably going to win, either you or the nemesis. Now the nemesis deck is not technically a deck of cards. It's all these different things that are come out from a nemesis. Well, I guess it is a deck, but that's not a deck in the fact that it, he can pick what he wants. These just come out individually, and you have to deal with each thing that could happen. If you don't, and you leave it stick around, it could cause you a lot of problems. So the choices you have to make is, do I go after the nemesis, or do I go after the things that are causing me problems that the nemesis has put in front of me? So some of those things in that nemesis deck could be minions. It could be powers that the nemesis could be charging up, or it just could be straight-up attacks to deal with. And for the characters you play in the game, everyone's playing as a mage. And the game's all about creating these breaches and using these breaches to summon your spells through them. So you actually have to plan in advance how to cast your spells and do damage in this game. This is the first time listening to the podcast. Our reviews are in a top five format. What that means is we each choose five points that we think you need to know about the game. And we rank these points as number one being the most important thing to know about the game and number five being the least important thing to know about the game. And with each of these points, we list them as a pro or con. So with that stated, let's get started. Barrett, what is your number five? Well, my number five point about this game is actually, it's gonna be a con. Um, and that's actually gonna be, I might get kind of some uh, backlash on this one, the value of the box. What you get in the box for the amount of money you're paying, I have a hard time with it. Um, it is, what you get is an enjoyable experience. I think it's kind of short, but maybe that's what they were aiming for. There is also some long-term use of this box, but what you're actually getting, I think, I wonder if they could have maybe thrown in a little bit more, or would that have made it too long? I don't know. It just seems a little expensive for what you're getting, unless you can find it on sale, which I have seen some on sale, and then I would think it's a 
you could pick it up and it wouldn't be that bad of a value. I kind of agree and disagree. So I, for sale, I think it's probably worth it. And I, I looked at the numbers on this and I compared this to the previous set, War Eternal. So War Eternal was $50 MSRP and Aeons and Legacies $80 MSRP, a difference of 30 bucks. And if you look at the content you will get out of the game, the stuff that you can reuse outside of the Legacy campaign, assuming you use everything available to you, it's actually pretty comparable to what you'd get in War Eternal. And so you're looking at a difference of $30, and does that justify the Legacy part of the game on its own? And so if you really enjoy Legacy, maybe 30 bucks is worth it, but maybe that's a little bit on the high side. Maybe a, a sales will help justify it. But for me, at least, I plan to use all these, all the content in the game outside of the Legacy campaign. So for me, I think it was justified. But like you said, it is an expensive game. Especially since you're only getting those seven chapters. And that's not a spoilery thing. You open the box, you see seven chapters in your hand. So you get those seven chapters to play, and then that's it. Then you're kind of left with either a reset pack, which you can pick up, 25 bucks, or maybe you find a sale. So... I, I guess I can see your point because there is some replay value later down the road, but just if you're playing that game, unless you find a sale, I think maybe it's just me. I play bigger games to begin with, like things like uh, those dungeon, big giant dungeon crawlers and things, and I know I'm getting hours and hours out of them, which so I probably shouldn't be comparing it to those. <laughs> yeah, and there's not much of a spoiler either, but you would probably get around 10 plays to get through the whole campaign or something, plus or minus, I don't know, three plays on top of that. Just a ballpark idea. But what I'm saying is, like, you can take all the cards you get in this game and just shuffle with all your existing ants and content if you really want to do that. With a few caveats, and we'll explain a little bit more about that in the uh, post-credit discussion. So that's my number five. Steve, what do you got? My number five is a pro, and I want to say the difficulty felt right for us. And I say that because we had some pretty close calls in the game, and even the first bosses we fought, without getting into any de detail, we uh, didn't do so well against. <laughs> so, But I remember there were a, a few <laughs> games there where I was out, my wife had one life left, and the city had one life left, and we were on the edge of our seats trying to beat this boss. So I know everyone's experiences may be different, and maybe we're just really bad at the game, but at least for us, it felt <laughs> like it was right. <laughs> I, I think that sounds like an awesome experience. It definitely was. <laughs> it was pretty nail-biting at that point. So I had my wife yelling at me, you're playing this wrong! You do this right! Come on! So she can be pretty competitive sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Even the co-op games, here she comes roar. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe not like that. No, it's more the fact that she pulls my weight <laughs> when we play the games. That's pretty cause, awesome. Because I tend to mess around and experiment with things. Oh, and yeah. She just has to deal with it, I guess. It's like, come on, stop trying to get your deck down to only five cards. Let's actually try to beat the guy. So. It's kind of funny. I'm the guy who tries to get his deck down to five cards, and I can keep drawing the same stuff. <laughs> exactly. That's a pretty good number five. I really don't got a lot to say because you might hear a little bit more about it down the line. I'll go and jump right into my number four. Please do, Steve. That'd be awesome. And that's going to be the Nemesis. So I felt the Nemesis was a good variety. And there's something specific about uh, one of the Nemesis I would love to talk about more. But I can't say it here without spoiling anything. So we'll talk more about that later. All right. Well, my number four, I don't think is... I can actually talk about it a little bit. The way legacy games work in general is you start very basic and you 
and you learn and become more experienced in the game through different things unlocking. The instruction booklets in all legacy games have blank spots, and you fill these in as you kind of go to learn more about the game and to experience more of the game. Um, I actually believe that they scaled that really well. I think it's a pro. I think every, because it seemed like you were gaining these additions, not, if you're gaining them fast enough, you weren't gaining them really slowly and dragging. It actually felt like this game was moving pretty well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the pacing was good. I think the pacing started below base Anne's End uh, content. So if you've already played Anne's End, you'll realize you'll be playing with, I don't know, it feels like you're playing with handcuffs essentially. Where if you you know that there's more to the game than they're showing in in the legacy version, but you may see that at some point later. Well, that's pretty good point, Steve. I'm gonna go into my number three, and my number three is a pro, and I don't want to say a pro with a little bit of caveat because I don't like saying like it's a mixed, but it is a pro. I do it is a pro, and that's that the game is. We kind of talked about this. It's easy and difficult, is the way I look at it. Um, you kind of mentioned the last one. You kind of held handcuffed at the beginning. I think that was good because if there's a person that hasn't played deck builders before, which actually my group, when we played it, that's what was going on. We had never played deck builders before. So starting with that early mission was really easy for them to understand the concept of how the game works. And being able to introduce all this at once, like a normal Aeon's End game does, would have been a real kind of difficult chore for them. So being able to spread that out, it kind of goes to the upgrades one a little bit, but even the... Nemesises were a little bit more on the unscaled side at the beginning, but like you said, again, they became more difficult, and there was a lot of variety in the way that the battles took place, and I thought that was really good in the way the variety was and the way that you were able to introduce things that made it easy, but then near the end, it got really kind of tougher. At least we experienced that. We kind of actually lost somewhere up near the end, but we didn't ever lose near the beginning. I would love to say that, but we lost in the beginning too, so... So even the easy ones were apparently difficult for us, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Everybody experiences it differently. That's for sure. That's right. But no, I, I will agree with what you're saying. The the beginning nemesis were easier, and then they definitely wrapped into difficulty as your abilities in the game also improved. And they also had really unique battles. I thought each battle was unique in itself once you got past the first kind of introductory area. I agree completely. They were very interesting and I would love to talk about more, them more, but yeah. we won't. Nope. <laughs> so. so that was my number three. I'm interested to hear what yours is, Steve. My number three is going to be a pro, and that's going to be the new mechanics. I absolutely loved one of the new mechanics specifically. I think it really opened up some really awesome avenues to the game. And I won't say more than that. So <laughs> until the spoiler part of it. Well, that's about really all you can say about it then. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be kind of awkward, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, you know, it'll work. If people want to know what you meant, they'll just listen to the end. Right. Okay, and then since that was so short, I'll jump into my number two right away. And this yeah. one is a con, and it's actually a pretty big con for me, unfortunately, especially at number two. Uh, and that's the story. I I felt like the story, it's there. It's, it, we followed along with it fine. But without getting to too many details, there was some decisions in it that was just really just disappointing. And I won't say any more than that without getting to any potential spoilers. So if you want to hear what I mean by that, jump into after the credit discussion. All right. That sounds like a pretty good number two. Mine is not that. Mine is, uh, it's a con. And it happens basically in a lot of legacy games. This con is apparent throughout. When you're trying to create an environment that involves a legacy type concept where you're able to create this person, I sometimes have a hard time 
being in the story because I feel like I'm an insignificant hero. Even though I'm gaining all these new things and all these things are becoming shown to me through the legacy game, again, it just always feels like when it, there is a story involved, I kind of feel insignificant for of, as to what's going on. Because, of course, I've never used my name. I'm just kind of, all this stuff is happening around me, and it's like, okay, and then go. And so I just, it's just a little, it was kind of a little bit of a con. We kind of never felt connected to the game. I agree with you, Barrett. And I'd love to say more, but I'm going to save that for the spoiler part of our discussion. So let's move on to our number one. Why don't you go ahead, Barrett? What's your number one? Oh, my number one, Steve. You know how this works when I'm on with you. I'm going to say my number one is exactly what you thought was a con, is I'm going to say is a pro. I love the story. I thought it was great. We really thought it was awesome. We loved the actual, even though we were insignificant, like I just said, the actual story itself was good. It pulled us through the game. We were actually excited to move into these new era, to the new chapters and actually experience what was going to happen. And when we were flipping the cards and reading them, I... If you saw my very, if I actually did a playthrough on my channel for this one, and I actually did the first chapter. So if you go and watch it, you can actually see the first chapter in action. So it's, I, and I don't really want to spoil anything unless you have seen it. But even in the first chapter, it was neat how they were introducing Aeon Zen to you in this story, and they kept on introducing Aeon Zen to you throughout the entire story. And I, I don't, I really thought that was neat because as you're doing it, you're going, oh yeah, this is Aeon's End. Oh, that's Aeon's End. Like you're able to recognize that this is Aeon's End. And again, that sounded absolutely ridiculous because I can't really spoil too much until the end credits. <laughs> yep. And I think I know what you're talking about. And I think my number two con is something specific that isn't being described in your number one. So these might actually be different points. We'll see. We shall see. <laughs> Well, my number one is a pro, and it's honestly the main reason why I purchased the game, and that's definitely the mage creation. The fact that you can go through this whole legacy campaign, and at the end, have an, your own mage that you have created from the ground up is really cool. And there's not spoiling anything, but I think it works really well. Uh, my wife and I had a lot of fun building our own characters, and to be quite frank, if we are going to play A&Z in the future, there's a really good chance we're just going to grab the mages we already built to play with them, because we feel so connected to them. I can totally understand that, and I actually am going to back you on that one. Even though we felt insignificant in the story, I do agree that I actually have a character in front of me. It's almost like any other role-playing game. You kind of feel kind of towards that character. You're going to know how that character works, and you're going to bring them forth into other Aeon Zen games, and I think it's going to work really well. I haven't tried it yet, but I know I want to, and we haven't actually done it. And there's some minor nuances in how you implement use your mage in regular Aeon's End game. And I'll describe that more in the spoiler section. Sounds good. So let's wrap up the show and go to the spoilers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping this was at least somewhat interesting to you guys without getting to too many spoilers. I know it's kind of hard to understand without ruining for people, but I think we can get into our final thoughts. And from there, we'll wrap it up and then stick around for the full-on spoilers. Sounds good. We'll do it real quick, too. <laughs> so what are your final thoughts on this game, Barrett? Final thoughts. Even though I put it at a con of the value, I actually do think this is a good game. I think it's a lot of fun, especially if you're into Aeon's End, but be wary if you are into Aeon's End. Don't expect a huge challenge at the beginning. If you're a vet, this game, you may never see any challenge if you're a super vet at this game. But you also get a pretty good story out of it. And I enjoyed that, which is something I really don't get from much of the other Aeons and games. Sure, you get a little bit of this is going on, that's going on, here's your nemesis, roar. 
But in this one, you're actually playing through this whole campaign, which is really something I'm excited for. And I think if you're into campaigns, you're into even legacy games in general, I think this is a good, well-built legacy game. I think this is for you. And if you're looking for a challenge in a deck building game, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be there. Or if you're looking, and if you can find it on sale, I would say totally grab it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think if this is on sale, I think it's definitely worth the price. If it's not on sale, then MSRP, it really depends. Like I said earlier, if that, if $30 is something that you feel justified to play a legacy game, the legacy portion of the game, it may not be worth it. I mean, for my wife and I, she loved it more than I expected. Uh, admittedly, we were up to 2, 3 a.m. playing this game just because you want to play back-to-back-to-back games. It's really not that long of a campaign, so that might be a negative to you, some of you out there. But for me, there's so many games out there with campaigns, I'm totally fine with a game with a shorter campaign for once, just so I know I can get through it, digest it, put away, and can move on to something else. So I thought the difficulty was pretty good. We had some really close calls, really close games in there. The variety of the bosses were, was quite good. It made it very inter- interesting. I will agree with you, Baron, that I felt like uh, with the story elements, it didn't really lead you into playing the game because you kind of just like, oh, here's a battle. And then story element, story element, story element, and then all of a sudden, oh, let's just jump into battle. It just kind of felt a little weird jumping into the battle from the story element. I, I enjoyed it. So this is something I would recommend with the caveat of if you plan to reuse what you get out of the box, it's probably worth the price tag, especially on sale. If you plan to play this and just kind of throw it away, then I would probably pass on this just because the price tag's so high and for what you get out of it, you you may not be able to salvage things to justify that cost. So hopefully you found that review interesting and stick around for more if you want to hear more juicy details. But with that said, let's wrap up this episode. If you have any news or upcoming games you'd like us to discuss, join us at One Stop Co-op Shop by sending us an email at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com. Or jump on our Slack. I'll have a link to join us in the show notes below. And I want to thank Barrett from Meet Me at the Table for joining me today. Well, like I said, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You can always check out my channel at Meet Me at the Table. I'm found on YouTube. And I actually started, actually, I put made a Facebook page. Can you believe that? <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so uh, Meet Me at the Table on Facebook now, finally. I've actually been not too social media. I should be more. But we got Fallen Land post-apocalypse board game coming up i also just did an unboxing of that new lord of the rings game for fantasy flight so that might be getting to the table pretty soon but if you've seen any of my other videos i like to have my miniatures painted so it's going to take me a while got to paint those miniatures before i put them on the table it's kind of a requirement for me i like the games to look good yeah and if you like any of the games we cover on one top co-op shop you will like what um Baron does on meet me at the table we have very similar uh taste with co-ops with that said hope you join us next week and we'll see you at the next stop Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop, where you can get great game playthroughs and 5 and 5 reviews. If you want to have a conversation with us, the best place to reach out to all of us is on the Slack channel. Links are in the show notes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at MVPBoardGames at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. Keep up for those. So keep up for those. That was pretty bad. (laughs) So look out. No, look out. That sounds like I'm going to hit you with it. (laughs) 
So And End Legacy is a cooperative deck building game where you're never going to shuffle your deck. And that's very similar to the way all the Aeon Gen... Aeon... All the Aeon End game... Aeon... Oh, I can't even say it! <laughs> oh. oh, Okay. Okay. As we wrap up the bloopers, then this is the spoiler part of the episode. So, fair warning to everyone, turn back now if you don't have any spoilers for Aeons and Legacy. This is your last chance because we're going to blow the top on this box. <laughs> so, let's per se tell you all about the goodies in there. That's a great way to say it. Okay, so let's jump into a little bit of our, what we discussed earlier. I would like to talk about my number four a little bit, about the Nemesis. All right, go for it. I mentioned how my number four was a pro and the variety was good, and I agree with what you said earlier in your review, too, about how the variety was good, but there's one character specifically, and this this is a huge spoiler, by the way, so turn it off right now if you don't want to be a huge spoiler, but there's actually eight chapters in the box, not seven, as listed on the game, and that final boss is Zaxos, was really, really cool to play against. And I say that because they designed him such a way, he doesn't play like the other nemesis we're used to, where he plays as another mage. So you're actually fighting against a mage who has his own breaches and spells that he's casting against you. I thought that was really, I don't know, something I wasn't expecting, and I really liked how that worked. It made it a really big challenge. Agreed. I thought that was a really awesome challenge, especially since it was this hidden eighth chapter that you didn't know about. You think you're all done, you're ready to wrap up your game, and it's like, oh, hey, by the way... Find your eighth chapter. Surprise! And then, like you said, this emphasis was so much fun. It fired off its own spells at us. We That was actually our closest battle the entire thing was against that guy. We barely made it through him. Yeah, he was really challenging. It got to a point where we're like, okay, we're doing really good. We think we got this. And then something snapped, and he started like just wailing spells at us. And we started like getting close to death. And I think we were at the last turn. If we didn't finish him off, we were, we were going to lose ourselves. So it was pretty epic. Uh, the other nemesis in the game, too, are pretty cool, honestly. There's some really interesting ones. There's The one I didn't care for a whole lot was the there's one that actually puts stickers on your uh, gems. He corrupts them. <laughs> so it was cool, but it also made it pretty difficult to figure out how to use your deck after the fact. And um, playing with my wife, so what happens is he'll corrupt your gems so you can't buy spells. I took as many of those as I could because my wife was kind of the damage dealer. I want to make sure she could buy those spells. And that made it difficult for me to overcome other nemesis later on in the game. But at the same time, it made it a cool challenge how to get around that too. Well, we figured out a way to totally get around that without too much problem at all. There's a card in the deck that you can buy from the shop. It's an artifact that you can pull your crystals out, and that thing replaces your crystals. So that's how I was able to just get every single one of these out of there. Wait, what? I Hold think on. it was no, like seriously. in the third one. It was, uh, let's see which one it is. It's, a, it's an artifact that says you can banish a card from your hand or something. So I'd banish all my gems, and this card gave me like one or two mana each time oh, that yeah, I did yeah, it. Yeah. And so I just yep. flipped them right out of my deck. It was That it, that was how <laughs> we did it. We got rid of them that way. So it, 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 there is a way to get around it. But yes, that can, that can cause you some problems. Now, the one guy I thought was a pain in the rear was that one that made you link the different... Uh, what do you call them, shop thing, the market together where you couldn't buy certain things if it was linked to certain things. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. So to describe this to you guys a little Please bit more, there's, there's a marketplace, and you're supposed to lay out in a 3x3 three three grid, and you're supposed to put them in a specific order where you're basically the worst cards at the top left corner. Your best card is generally the bottom right corner. And you have the option to put these links, they're called, uh, between each of these supply piles. And so in order to buy these cards... 
uh, without taking damage, you need to have a link from the top left corner to whatever supply pile you're, you're picking from. And so you can buy from any pile, but you have to take the damage, which can add up pretty quick, honestly. So these things are moving, disappearing, and you're trying to recreate them just so you can get to the right spells you wanted. Yeah, that one was kind of a pain. It was it was a little tough going on that one. We didn't struggle too much on that one, mostly because of how we built our characters. We only needed a couple of spells for Kim, and I was more of support, so I would focus on um, taking care of the non-minions and, and boss stuff out in the game. I wonder if it might have had to do with the fact that we had four players where you only had two. I wonder if that might have changed things up a little bit. That could have done it too, huh. yes. Who knows? We'll, we'll never know, will we? Because <laughs> I'm never going to play with two <laughs> and you're probably not going to play with four. Oh, my wait, replay this one actually. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So my wife is asking too. And one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about the review, because I didn't want to spoil too much, is I actually really am a big fan of the art on these cards. These art is amazing. Even in the first like set of things, just seeing all the... It, I think it had to do more with, I think, more the first act than anything else. Being able to see all these Breach Mages we've played with and seen through all of Aeon's End coming into this story and being part of the story. That's what I meant by this narrative being amazing, is you're like, oh my gosh, it's Mist, or oh, that's that person, oh, that's that, that person, you re... re Finding all the people you remember seeing in Aeon's End or playing with, and now you're just seeing them just in the first chapter. They're just super powerful. They're just blowing stuff up, and I just that that really took me in. It just made me excited for this game, thinking of how much power these other mages had and how much power I was gonna get. And just seeing the art on these cards. I, there's one card in particular, Mist. It's an old card. I mean, it, it's not art they've never used. It's not new. I think it's recreated art that they've used before. So it's almost like a best of art collection. <laughs> At least that's my opinion. No, I agree. I think that part of it was really cool, seeing the mages from the other games just appear. And I agree completely. You felt like you were like nobody. Just couldn't do anything. And they're just wailing on this boss for you. And uh, the one issue I had with it, though, and maybe it's because of how bad we played, <laughs> so was my number two con with the story, was it was there was instances where there was, I felt like a cop-out, where we lost multiple times against the same enemy. Oh, yep. And the result was, oh, your friends came in and saved you. Like, oh, well, that was just so anticlimactic. And just, I felt like a cop out in the story. I'm like, no, I felt like this, I don't know, the story was pretty good. And then you kind of like threw this in this and we just kind of like, all the wind in our sails just kind of deflated. And we're just like, oh, well, that was kind of a bummer. <laughs> On top of the loss, of course, which wasn't much fun either, but that's fine. That's hilarious. You know what, Steve? We lost only once, so we gained this token. They have a token that you gain if you lose, and it's like something that allows you to get a little special power. I'm sorry, I for totally forgot what that token Malastar's does. Malastar's Gift. Yes, that's what it is. It's Malastar's Gift. And he's able to, uh, let's see here, Any it says any player gains five life and Gravehold gains five life. And so you can use this token at any time if you're replaying the scenario that you just lost. We only gained that token one time. Other than that, we never lost. We never experienced something like that where it's like, oh, your friend saved you. Never mind. You're just fine. Move on. Apparently, you're much better at this game than we are. So. <laughs> you know what? Again, okay. that might be because we played with four versus two. I wonder how much of a difference that is. Yeah, it could be. But yeah, so that was, I don't know. I wish they could have done something different in the story. I understand you probably have to move on. That's fine. But just the story was just, it's just so uninspired to just do that. So that was a big, my biggest con. 
I do know that there was a battle against Blades. He's a nemesis at one point. You're fighting this guy named Blades. And if you have it, it's a timer one. And if you don't finish him, he comes back at a later date. And it even says, like, you pull a card that says, if you defeated Blades, discard this card. If you didn't, do this. And so all of a sudden, if you didn't defeat that nemesis from a while ago, he actually comes back. I think it might be one near the end or might be the end battle. And all of a sudden, this Blades come out with an absolute monstrous amount of hit points. You don't know what to do about him. We didn't have to worry about it. We killed Blades. But it was just interesting to see that card and what could have happened if you did lose twice and it moved you on. Well, actually, the beginning scenario is you have the option to play it twice. The beginning scenario is you only played it once, and that actually happened to us. We did not defeat the... I think his name is Bladius? Yeah, Bladius. That's the guy. He comes back. Yeah. Yeah, he came back for us, and he was a beast. We're like, oh, gosh. We have, I don't know how we're going to deal with this guy. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it was really cool to see. I thought that was really clever, and it made it fun. It made it feel felt like this was a cohesive story. And there's other elements in that game, too, um, that stick around for you. In fact... I guess we should talk about one of the biggest spoilers, too, is how the the enemy deck works. There's a feature called Evolve in this deck. Yes. So as as you're playing, these, these bad cards come out where if they trigger in different ways, you'll put stickers on them. There's only so many stickers you can place on each of these cards. If you need to place a sticker and you can't, then the card says, okay, you need to evolve this card. And what does that mean? It's a separate deck, an evolve deck. It does you go look at a certain card and read what happens. And sometimes these cards will up be upgraded to something much bigger. Maybe that even can get upgraded to something even bigger past that point. So it's like this this very interesting dynamic. Like, okay, do I go and try to take out this card that can evolve right now so I don't have to deal with something much harder later on? Or do I just go for the boss, try to finish it up, this, this game out quickly? It was really interesting how that worked. I agree with you. That was probably my favorite mechanic of the entire game. Putting and, and you know what? This mechanic isn't something new. It, I, again, it's a really common thing I've been seeing in legacy games is being able to create new cards from cards that are already out there. So, But it was a really fun thing to see. They had a whole deck of these things. And yeah, there were many times where we're like, oh, that one only has one health, but it's got like two defense. We have to kill it. If it, It's going to evolve if we don't kill it. And so we sat there <laughs> trying to beat this thing down while the nemesis is throwing things at us doing five damage or something so yes it's it's a good mechanic because sometimes you never knew what was going to happen and it could it could get get so much worse down the line because these cards when they evolve go into your basic deck then and are going to start becoming more apparent as the game moves forward speaking of mechanics i want to talk about my pro talk about the new mechanics so there are two new uh, player mechanics that get added to this game one is uh, silence and the other one is pulse tokens Pulse tokens are pretty cool. They're just these tokens you can gather. You can gather a pool of max of five of them. And you can gain them through various card effects. But then you can also spend these in, through various card effects to do lots of different things. They so can do, depending on your card pool, you can get more uh, money to buy stuff. You can get more damage. You can trigger additional abilities. It's pretty cool how that worked. Agreed. And I actually like that silence mechanic. We uh, had a guy who was actually primarily a silencer. He would pick up a lot of different things that would silence enemies, and that was actually one of the ways we got through some of those uh, evolve mechanics is, oh, that one's going to evolve, boom, silence it so it can't do its deal. And so we could keep it kind of at bay for a little while while we had to work on something else. It was It's a good mechanic. I think it's fun. I, and now the thing is, not all this comes forward when you move your character stay on Zen. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the, the mechanics, pulse, and silence, and silence is the new mechanic I love because it really opened up 
a lot of avenues on how to deal with these enemies. And you already covered it, like with the, how to shut down those evolved characters. It made it really fun. My my mage specialized in silence as well. But the one thing that doesn't carry over is in this game, and this is another big spoiler, is you not only gain powers like you do in regular Aeon's in, but you gain equipment as well. And so at the end of the game, you're going to have a mage with some equipment powers. And these are like start of the game effects, really, or during the game effects you can do. And then that's in addition to your special ability where you can build up charge tokens to trigger it. And so if you're going to play your mates outside of Ants and Legacy, it's recommended that you don't play with the equipment abilities because that's kind of added on, makes your character much more powerful than any other mage that I've created for the game. But if you're okay with going against a harder nemesis, there's no reason why you can't use those abilities if you wanted. But if you want to keep your power level the same as everything else, yeah, don't, don't use the equipment. Awesome. So the other thing you can keep in mind is how much of this content you can use again in regular Ants End. So how Ants End Legacy worked is you started with weak cards and you can choose the supply uh, cards you started with and you had to replace two of these between each chapter, which is cool. Worked out really well. But as you play these chapters, your supply cards grew in strength. And so at the end of the game, you had some really powerful supply cards to utilize to try to take out this boss. It made it really fun. But now the issue is if you want to take all these cards and integrate this into Aeon's End, well, now you have the earlier cards, the supply cards, which are weaker than the average supply cards in Aeon's End, and the later cards in Legacy, which are more powerful than the cards in Aeon's End. And so you can go ahead and mix those all together with what you have. It may work, but you may have some games where it's easier or harder based on the number of easy and more powerful cards you get from your random randomizers. Now, if you want to take only the cards that are balanced to the rest of Aeon's End, unfortunately, it's only a fourth of the cards you can carry over, if I remember correctly, something around that number. And so in that case, it, it wouldn't be worth picking up this game, in my opinion. So that's going to wrap up our spoiler section of this. I hope this was useful to you. It's kind of hard to record a review of a game with a non-spoiler and a spoiler section. Um, let me know how this went, if this was an okay format to go, or if you would just rather just go straight spoilers and just let people know in advance. But anyway, thanks for listening, and we'll see you at the next stop.